This morning, as Jackie just mentioned, our scripture is Psalm 13. We're going to ask you to sing the response that you'll find in your bulletin. It comes at the beginning and it comes at the end, and you'll know it's time because David will play an organ interlude before you sing. And if you want to follow along in your hymnal, most of your copies, uh, you'll find it on page 626. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's be in the spirit of prayer for just a moment. Holy and loving God. We inch forward eagerly and with vulnerable hearts, hoping to hear a word for our lives today. Grant us the serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, 
the courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom, your holy and infinite wisdom, to know the difference. Amen. So last week, Pastor Jackie introduced our November sermon series that explores the Psalms. And I thought it would be really a good idea, a nice idea, to understand the Psalms before we sit at Thanksgiving tables next week or two weeks from now with family and friends. The Psalms deepen our gratitude in unforeseen ways. Pastor Jackie mentioned that we are basing this series on Walter Brueggemann's book, The Message of the Psalms. And in his book, Brueggemann shares the scheme of orientation, disorientation, new orientation. This pattern is the pattern of every great story ever written. It is the hero's journey, and it describes the human experience. Brueggemann writes, what goes on in the Psalms is in touch with what goes on in our lives. Pastor Jackie last week introduced to us the real lived experience of orientation, two feet on the ground, seasons of well-being, gratitude for blessings, joy, delight, goodness, coherence, and reliability on God. Unfortunately, life and God don't leave us blissfully happy in the Garden of Eden. And so today we reflect on the experience of disorientation. These are the anguished seasons of hurt, alienation, suffering, and death. These are the psalms that evoke anger and rage, resentment, self-pity, and hatred. They honestly describe ragged, painful disarray. These are the songs of lament. Someone recently asked me, hey, have you ever had a worship service where you're just angry throughout the worship? And I said, like a service of lament? And he said, maybe, but more angry, like punk rock music. <laughs> Fact is, there is a large number of psalms of lament, protest, and whiny complaint in Scripture. These are not the happy, clappy songs of boy bands and bubblegum princesses. The psalms of disorientation are the stuff of the blues and gangster rap and punk rock music and country music. So I kind of wondered what it would sound like if a gathering happened where B.B. King and Tupac Shakur and a female punk rock group from Russia that I can't say their name from this pulpit. <laughs> Alan Jackson and Jolly Parton. They all assembled together and wrote a song. It might sound like a blues, gangster, rap, punk rock, country psalm of lament. Like this. <coughs> the thrill is gone. The thrill is gone away. You done me wrong and you'll be sorry one day. How many caskets can we witness before we see it's hard to live this life without God? So we must ask 
forgiveness. Hail Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. The great American flag is wrapped and dragged with explosives. Compulsive disorder, sons and daughters, barricaded blocks and borders. Look what you taught us. Handful of senators don't pass legislation, and marches alone can't bring integration. When human respect is disintegrating, the whole crazy world is just too frustrating. You left your Bible in the dresser, so I put it in the drawer, because I can't seem to talk to God without yelling anymore. Yeah, we all could use a little mercy now. I know we don't deserve it, but we need it anyhow. We hang in the balance, dangle between hell and hallowed ground. Every single one of us could use some mercy now. In our consumer culture, it is believed that enough power, money, and knowledge can tame the terror and eliminate the darkness. But in reality, those kinds of privileges only postpone and lower our bottom to hit. Despite our efforts, the darkness is so resilient and persistent. It will come in due time. It will come. Disorientation doesn't care how much money you have in the bank. The ancient Hebrews of Israel did not banish or deny the darkness from its religious enterprise. They were a community that did not resemble civil religion, which goes from strength to strength to strength. Israel understood life to be a pilgrimage, a journey through dark places, experiencing that uniqueness of being human. They embraced the darkness as the very path towards new life. Israel knew that new life couldn't come from anything else. But our culture loves wishful senses of optimism. We would rather numb our fears through deception that does not want to acknowledge or sit with the pain. But avoiding disorientation is a spiritual problem. And avoidance is an odd inclination for people who follow a crucified God. So you would think that the church would be countercultural and embrace the Psalms of disorientation as a way to follow Jesus more closely. Not really. The church has intuitively avoided these Psalms, with the exception of one day a year, Good Friday. These Psalms, however, are both honestly prophetic and gently pastoral. They grab the church by her shoulders and shake her from her slumber. These psalms evoke reality for those who pretend that life is well-ordered when in fact it is not. The psalms of disorientation hold up the mirror and sternly say, this is how it really is. They lead us into the presence of God where everything is not polite and civil and nice. They cause us to think unthinkable thoughts and utter unutterable words. More than that, they lead us away from the comfort of everything being controlled and neat and managed. The church is a place of Easter hallelujahs, right? 
but we don't know what to do with negativity. In the church, sometimes negativity is perceived as acts of unfaith and sometimes even failure. But for the trusting community of Israel, the use of these dark-themed songs is a bold act of faith. This life must be experienced as it really is, not in some sugar-coated, pretend, plastic way. These psalms tell us that it is okay to have real feelings with God. Yahweh is not a snowflake. God can handle direct anger. And it takes a bold faith to believe that God cares about our experience of disorder, that nothing is out of bonds, not anything is inappropriate to talk to God about. So don't hold back. Let it all out. Even if you're as angry as the psalmist in 137 who wants to crush baby skulls to get back at their enemies. This is not a, non- this is not a violent act of redemption, but a non-violent act of creative poetry. In today's psalm, the crisis is in the relationship, the relationship that the psalmist has with Yahweh. And the psalmist goes as far as blaming Yahweh for his troubles. And most Christians are kind of afraid to do such a thing. We take too much responsibility sometimes. But I remember one of my uncles saying once, Christians give all the praise to God, but none of the blame. Well, the psalmist isn't afraid to go there. For ancient Israel, the relationship is hurting, and that's mu- that must be why the human is hurting. The two things cannot be separated for them. God must be absent, and that's why we are miserable. Folks, I've been to places of disorientation. Many times, in fact, I think I might actually have a timeshare in the land of disorientation. (laughs) One, in fact, was in Canton, Ohio. God won't bring you to the edge of a cliff only to leave you there alone, my auntie said before I moved there. You see, I was terrified. I had no friends or family in Ohio. All my friends were here. Who would I be there Auntie's words gave me confidence for a little while, but after 1,400 miles of driving from Boulder, Colorado to Canton, Ohio with my little family, we spent our first night in Canton on air mattresses. And then we woke up in a new house on what felt like a cliff on the edge of the moon. But I reminded myself that Canton, Ohio is still in America. And so I took out my iPhone and bravely got in my car to do the simple act of going to the grocery store. But not even Siri knew where I was. (laughs) She was like, girl, are you on your own? So without her navigational help, I finally found a store called Mark's. And they didn't take credit cards. I had to go get cash from an ATM. I didn't have cash or a check. I know it's a small thing, but I came back to my cliff-hanging house totally crying. I tried to distract myself for a few hours moving our things into a duplex that did not go with any of our stuff. 
I was flooded with self-doubt. I was thinking, oh, what did I do? Where did I go? I want to break up with Jesus. I was totally disoriented. It didn't make sense. Because sometimes life doesn't make sense. Things have fallen apart. Siri has abandoned us in a thick of fog full of questions and doubts. The honest words of anger, hurt, depression, despair, and deep questioning of God permeate our being. And this can go on for hours, days, weeks, months, for some even years. There is nothing more to do. Can't fix it. Can't cure it. Just sit in it, in the fog, feeling the edges of the pain. In these times of disorientation, we get a better grip on what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. For people of faith, what choice do we have but to double down on faith? When we don't feel that powerful presence of God, but believe anyway, that word faith has a lot more grit to it. The psalmist teaches us to express our true feelings to God, and through this act of expression, we eventually will get to praise So how does that happen, going from disorientation to new orientation? Brueggemann writes, it is possible that there might be some inside spiritual experience. More likely, it was an outward, visible act by some member of the community, mediating the fresh move of Yahweh to the speaker. It's true, isn't it? In times of disorientation, we have our blinders on and we're feeling sorry for ourselves. And then out of the blue, a surprising gesture of someone wakes us up from our troubles and we have this profound emotional turn. A whole new world of trust and gratitude is revealed to us. So around 4 o'clock on that first day in Canton, Ohio, A few strangers from the church, my new church, came over. This big, friendly, buoyant woman came over with dinner and paper plates, and another woman brought lilacs and a blue vase. Men and women carried in our boxes and our furniture from the moving pods, and one man put our children's IKEA bunk beds together without the instructions of Swedish pictures. We sold most of our furniture back in Colorado, so I watched as grown-ups, with horror I watched, with grown-ups sitting on the floor, eating sloppy joes, never asking if we had any chairs. They chatted kindly with my children, completely overlooking my grief-induced exhaustion that indicated that I could not parent a minute more. They piled food on a paper plate, included a fudgy brownie, and handed it to me because I couldn't find one of the three grocery stores that were closer to our house than Mark's. (laughs) I have been to places of disorientation, folks. My eyes have adjusted to the dark. 
So if you are in a place of disorientation today, I tell you what, I'm willing to sit in the darkness with you. Many of us in this room are. And we aren't here to cure you or fix your troubles. Your lament, your anger and fear and complaints are real and acceptable feelings. They are welcome here. And don't forget that God is your audience too. God is your partner through all of your experiences, even the rough patches. And this community of faith will sit with you and boldly sing your blues, gangster rap, punk rock, country psalm of lament. May it be so, my friends. Amen.